Welcome back to Cannabis Chat, everybody. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, and we are very happy to be joined by a friend of mine from my second favorite state in the union. That would be the great state of Maine, the Maine man himself, Rye Russell from Weed Buds. Hi, Rye, how are you? Jimmy, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be a part of the Pro Cannabis Media team today. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully more to come on that. But let's tell everybody a little bit more about your background and how you got to create Weed Buds and how successful that little venture has been. It's incredible. It was a journey that for me, it was just some accountability. I was a late bloomer to the cannabis industry. And not that I would say anybody really preached too much against it in my life. I just was not really exposed to it. And so that lack of education was very much a barrier for me. And medically, I developed some health issues and the traditional routes were unproductive. But I was still so nervous because my doctor told me that medical cannabis was something that I would have to journey down on my own. And so I used the podcast as a way kind of infusing my media background. And I'll never forget, I called a grower. I was living in Ohio at the time. And I told them, I said, I'm going to uh, try your product. I'm going to this dispensary. This is what I think I'm going to be trying. And if you kill me, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have this podcast and uh, everyone's going to know about it. And I'll tell you, Jimmy, the conversation was magnificent. You know, it was a small chuckle. And he said, let's talk. What are you fearful of? What are your concerns? And he wasn't the pharmacist, but he really allowed me. And I said, man, I feel if more people could kind of have these buds around them to help them educate and to learn just about the industry and about the people that are in the industry. I think once you know those people, you might start to feel a little bit safer because they have our best interests at heart. 100%, and it's funny you mentioned education and learning. Uh, on Wednesdays on this cannabis chat venture that we're doing, um, we are dedicating our talk for the most part as an educational experience. This is where Professor Weed Wednesdays exists and uh, playing the role of Professor Weed will be moi and I'll be interviewing uh, educators and we already have had a few of them on our first show that we've done like this. And this is only our second Professor Weed Wednesday. So I'm gonna ask you a question, Rye. This was an interesting experience, how you got exposed and started to learn about the uh, aspects of medical marijuana and using it as a medicine. What is one of the most surprising things that you have learned about your journey with cannabis as a medicine? I think first and foremost is the clarity of my mind. That was one of the things that was really tripping me up in traditional medicine. A lot of the medication that I was on, I felt was locking me in, was locking my personality in and my creative side that you know me for, that, that I love and gives me inspiration for the day, I felt like the traditional medications were pushing that down and suppressing that part of me. And I can't really explain it other than I felt like a zombie of who I was. And when I first started experimenting with cannabis, right? And if you listen to any of the old school messages, you would think that cannabis is gonna turn me into a zombie. And so that was one of my fears. And when I started using medical cannabis to help me 
I realized it helped me socially. It helped me spiritually. It helped me psychologically where now I feel it can open my mind. It can expand my mind. And it's weird to, to say, unless you really can understand the experience, but rather than suppressing anything, I feel like it brings all of my emotions to the forefront uh, and I can process them much better than I ever could before. You know, it's so funny how many times I've heard that very, almost not word for word, but very similar experience from others who are exposed to it for the first time. And it doesn't surprise me when I learn more and more and interview scientists and doctors and nurses who understand the endocannabinoid system and the, the, how the plant can balance your nerve receptors and affect your mood. And it's incredible to me that it was a doctor who actually said to you, you should look into medical marijuana. Is that accurate? So not only did he say that I should look into it, was very transparent and told me that that was a journey I was going to go down alone because he did not have the knowledge, the expertise, or the studies to give me any recommendations, and he didn't feel qualified. And so what he said is, we have tried what we should have accomplished by now. This should have worked, and it's not working. And not only is it not working, it's failing me. And so there was some self-awareness there, and I'm very grateful to him. I, you know, I do wish that the medical community had better resources and assets because it was such angst for me to do this alone. And I, I see more people in the medical community starting to adopt at least those types of conversations, right? Of, hey, patient, I'm so sorry. I wish I could talk to you more about this, but I'm just not that educated. It was the most honest. And I think you and I know, you know, not many doctors like to admit what they don't know. And so I think that that is actually an admirable thing. Uh, if you've got a doctor that says, hey, look, I might not be the best resource for this, but maybe here's some recommendations. Yeah. And, it, and it's again, a lot of people use it as a last resort. Uh, a lot of doctors think they're God, so they can't really recommend it, right? Because their egos are very large. I think I'm comfortable saying that. And yet now you're finding more medical professionals understanding the qualities of this plant and its role in the balancing of your uh, endocannabinoid system. And it affects your mood and it affects your, your pain receptors and all the things that if you look at the research that's being done on it and the anecdotal evidence that's out there so many people have discovered it this way so it you know again you are living proof Rye russell that this thing this stuff works and can be beneficial to your health if you look into it and find the right mix you know still a lot of people are trying this for the first time and you know sometimes they don't want to smoke it or, or dab it, they, or even vape it, and, and they try an edible or a tincture, and they overdo it because of the delayed reaction, and then they get in trouble. Now, one of the things we're going to start doing on our shows is soliciting people's stories. I'd like to hear, I just heard your cannabis story, that was great. I would like to know an edible story that you might have, because everybody has at least one edible story that perhaps does not end well or even begin well. Do you have one of those? 
Jimmy, as you said, we all have one of those. I, for me, edibles are something that I strongly recommend that when you start exploring and you start experimenting to see if that is the type of product for your regimen, definitely start low, go slow. We all kind of know that mantra in the industry, but we all highly recommend it. And I recommend doing it at home. Uh, so I have personal story, of course, I've got some fun family stories. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, for me, what was most important is that there was no ambulance needed. And I think that, you know, a lot of individuals when they don't experience that, they start to have the panic attack and what symptoms they might be feeling start to get amplified. So I was very lucky to experience it with a trusted friend who was very acclimated to edibles. And so he just sat with me, kept me calm. And then I, my heart started to race and I started to sweat. And I, I felt like, you know how when you're just about to get sick and you can start to kind of feel the spins, that's what it felt like. Now, the good news was, yeah, I never got sick. So it was just that you got the spins, I laid down, and then I would say it was about 15 minutes, and who knows my sense of time at that point, but about 15 minutes where I could just start to feel like coming one with my entire body. I could hear my heartbeat and I could really feel a lot of sensation. And once I kind of embraced it, then I was able to relax and enjoy the remainder of that experience. And since then, I've been very careful to start at that low dose, add a little at a time, uh, but I do, I believe that everybody should be very cautious and careful with where and with whom they're experiencing their edibles for the first time. Right, and again, I preach this all the time, responsible use, and remember this is a medicine or at least a plant medicine that you're, you're using and you are self-medicating and every body is different as well as everybody is different as far as your metabolism goes and the effect it's going to have on you. And you know, on this edition of Cannabis Chat, we are getting some feedback from nurses and educators uh, about what to do when you do too much or when you have taken too much. And the role that CBD plays, pure CBD can play to control your high is probably the most enlightening thing that I have learned uh, about this plant and about what can happen if you do too much because CBD will dampen the THC effect and help you get more grounded, if you will. And um, that to me is an amazing thing. And I even asked the uh, registered nurse who was with us uh, at the last show we did, uh, Julie Battle from Canalize. I said, can't first responders have a vial of straight CBD oil that they could administer in case they come upon someone who's had too much of a dose and um, everybody says, well, this is a great idea. But again, because it's the medical community, you know, everybody's apprehensive about actually administering anything like that from that plant until more research is done. And it's really a shame because if it was in my house, that's the first thing I do is I go to my cupboard, I get my straight CBD that I take every morning anyway. And I know that that would help. Um, have you heard that story or heard any other uh, anecdotal stories about that? 
So I get that text message every now and then because I think especially in Maine, we see a, a trend where the older community is starting to experiment with cannabis and they're really starting to experiment with edibles because most of these individuals, they, they're kind of that school of thought. They don't want to smoke it and I can understand that. The concern is though sometimes is when there's the lack of education with the edibles, then of course some of these uh, situations and experiences can happen. And so I've received that text message every now and then and actually most recently from my grandmother who asked me what to do in a situation of somebody uh, having a medical cannabis edible overdose. And what I recommended was exactly that. Uh, about 15 milligrams of CBD is what I recommended because I didn't have too, too much of the THC. My second recommendation was uh, ibuprofen or Tylenol, because what, you know, obviously we're finding right now, and I think that there's still more research to conclude this, but the NSAIDs, uh, those types of pain medications will work very similar to CBD in terms of blocking the receptors that the THC molecules will bind to. So what I've done, and I've done this before, because Jimmy, as you know, traveling around the country and going to different cannabis events, sometimes you can be gifted quite a few different products. And so I was at an event just a couple of weeks ago where I took two ibuprofen and five milligrams of CBD before I went to the event, because I knew that I would be sampling different products and it helped me kind of maintain uh, that little bit more, you know, alert and awareness. And so absolutely, I think CBD is great for that. But then obviously in the right application, maybe something like Tylenol or Advil could, could help bring that down fast as well. And, and though that, uh, I think it was an ac a little acronym, you, the NSAIDs, that's non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. For those, of those, for those of you out there who don't know what NSAIDs are, and they're available, as you can imagine, pretty much everywhere in your pharmacy, they're over-the-counter um, analgesics, as they say. Um, you mentioned the great state of Maine. Let's talk a little bit about the great state of Maine. Four years after voters in the state of Maine voted for adult use recreational sales to begin, they're finally going to begin on October 9th in the great state of Maine. I believe we, we came up with at least five locations where uh, the stores will be open. And um, do you remember where they all were? Yes, so I believe right now we have five total recreational retail licenses, and we are looking at South Portland, Portland, Newry, and Bangor, and I believe we have two locations in South Portland, so we've got five total, and they're going to be ready come October 9th to serve the community. And I'm really interested to hear where the flower is coming from because the state of Maine and we got to know Uncle Pete Tranch Montaigne I think everybody knows Uncle Pete's relief in Sanford he explained it was the water in the state of Maine that's so similar to the water that's in the Emerald Triangle which I find interesting because we both know it's a lot colder in Maine than it is in Northern California I don't care uh, how cold it gets in Northern California. Maine probably wins that one going away, especially up towards uh, Presque Isle way there. You know what I'm, you know, in Arista County, right? Way up there. Um, I guess the point is, um, do you know that they're going to be strains that people from Massachusetts might be familiar with? Your Blue Dreams, 
uh, your granddaddy purples, or do you think you're going to have, um, you know, the great state of Maine strains? <laughs> you know, Jimmy, it's a great question. I think we're going to see a little bit of both. And, you know, we know that right now there's three cultivation facilities that have been licensed to serve the recreational market. Uh, also, one testing facility. And so when I look at some of the opportunity and kind of the way that the cannabis licenses are in Maine, I see licensing of brands being a huge opportunity. So you see some of these national brands that may have started in the Emerald Triangle, as you mentioned. And what they did is they got very crafty. And so they would license their brand or their name to a local cultivator licensee of some sort and then that was a way where they could collaborate with some expertise from this original national brand now and that kind of local compliant processes that you really do need a local operator because compliance is just such a huge piece here. So I think you're going to see some really great main brands, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some of these national players enter the main market with licensing agreements. And at the end of the day, I think you will. You're going to see the blue dream that you'll find in other markets. And it might be a little bit different. And that's what's kind of special about cannabis is that when I go to Maine, I know that the blue dream might be a little bit different. But as long as they have a good certificate of analysis and they can tell you the terpene profile, you should be able to do a quick little search in favorite strain from out of state or out of the country and then find something here in Maine that that you will like you know you mentioned out of state and the state of Maine I know it was a little contentious in the very beginning another reason why there was such a long delay is that at first when this law went into effect in the state of Maine they really wanted to try to protect their own but that blocks out a lot of major players multi-state operators who are already exist already exist in the state of Maine, and you know, to me, it should be an open enterprise. Now, I understand limiting the amount of licenses one company can have is important for competition and to protect uh, that you don't have a monopoly. But I do understand now that they have loosened up those original restrictions and have allowed uh, MSOs to come in there. And I think Acreage is up there, Curaleaf is up there. Um, I, I think you have some stories about that contentious uh, debate that was going on there for a few months in Maine. Oh, Jimmy, I wish this debate was only a few months. This debate has been tried and true from the beginning. And you, you nailed it as a media, individual, I can absolutely see the debate from both sides. I am a Mainer. I am a former small business owner. I'm still a small business owner. And so I love, and I'll never not love mom and pop retail. I also love entrepreneurial spirit, drive, and you know, true, genuine capitalist, conscious capitalism. And what I see is two very distinct markets in me. As you mentioned, we have Acreage that is affiliated with some local dispensaries. We have Cureleaf, whose founders are from Maine, and obviously that expanded very rapidly. And uh, I know that they have some affiliation in, in your neck of the woods too, Jimmy. And, uh, and so at the end of the day, the caregivers, they outnumber 
all of those retailers, right? There's so many of them. And so they feel that sense of Maine pride as they should. You know, they are the legacy of Maine cannabis. But we are in a transition time here in Maine where that legacy needs to turn into revenue generation for the state. It needs to turn into a highly regulated market for consumer safety. And I think that there's an opportunity for more collaboration. So I'm certainly not going to, you know, put down a gavel on, you know, what's constitutional and what's not in terms of, in terms of residency requirements. But from what I can see, I think there is a way to move forward for all players in this space. And I think that there's, back to the brands, there's some really good main brands that I think with the reach and the resources of some of these larger partners, we can start to celebrate New England cannabis across the country. Um, you use the word caregiver. It's always been part of the medicinal marijuana rollout on a lot of states. Um, you, the, if you were to define caregiver, um, how would you describe what a caregiver is and how were they able to actually have a, a stash or grow it and then serve it as a medicinal product to the public? Sure. Well, Jimmy, what's interesting, when I moved back to Maine, I became a caregiver just to go through the process to understand it a little bit more. So I am still a licensed caregiver in the state of Maine. I don't grow or process any plants myself, but it allows me to you know, have a connection with the Office of Marijuana Policy and really understand what's going on from the inside journalistically. It allows me to network with, with the caregivers. So essentially there's a few different tiers of the caregiver license and people like me, they could become a caregiver and maybe they can broker deals. You can wholesale from one and sell to another and you can kind of cross some, some boundaries in the supply chain there. There's people that just get the caregiver's license solely to grow, be it clones that they sell or be it for flour, then you can get a license for processing, you can get a license for retail. So a caregiver can have a retail store. It's neither a dispensary or an adult use location. It is a caregiver shop. And to me, it's kind of comparing, you know, Walmart of weed to you know those kind of hometown hardware stores, you know where I'm, you know I I know the gentleman who ordered the hammer that I'm going to go buy, and uh, again I that's really what I think the caregivers are is a little bit more mom and pop, a little bit more boutique, and I do think that you might get a personal touch from a care scale operations you might not be able to find as as well. However, I do see a lot of great training from all locations. You mentioned the Marijuana Policy Board up in Maine. I'm not quite sure I got the exact terminology there, but Eric Gunderson is the main man up there. Oh, excuse me. Rye Russell is the main man. Eric is just dishing out the licenses and doing the official policy for the state of Maine. Um, how has reaction been to how and what he's been handed? The responsibility alone is huge. And I can tell you, it is not an easy thing to do. And the Cannabis Control Commission here in Massachusetts continues to try to get it right and still gets some pushback on a few of the things, especially the social equity initiative. How has the, what, what's the pulse of the state of Maine regarding the job that the um, Marijuana Office Policy Board is doing up in, up in vacation lands? 
Well, in vacation land, I believe that the Office of Marijuana Policy, uh, I think they're doing a great job. I think all regulators are struggling right now. They're trying to deal with pioneering policy. And I, I like to use that term uh, with these regulators because I don't know that we celebrate them enough because they're entrepreneurs in their own right. They're pioneering something that's never been written before. And so having the ability to speak to regulators all over the country, I find that they're creating these support groups with each other uh, because you can't really win, right? Eric Gunderson is you know, kind of between a rock and a hard place when you have essentially three markets in the cannabis industry, your caregivers, now your recreational sales and your medical dispensaries. So he is in this kind of position where he needs to oversee all of this and provide regulation that keeps customers safe, but doesn't impede business. And I think that's really important here is how do we keep customers safe while allowing the free markets in this space to, to develop? And so I think Eric's doing a fantastic job. I, I would say that it's most of the market seems to have a positive dialogue with the office. And I think that's what's most critical. But in Maine, right, it's much easier. I bet there's caregivers that could say, Eric, I'm going to call your mother if you don't call me back, where if you're the regulator in Los Angeles, right, it, it might not be that tight of a community. So I do think that in Maine, we have better access to communication from the industry to the policymakers. Um, part of Massachusetts law uh, was supposed to give a opportunity to those who have been most affected by the war on drugs, the social equity applicants, the economic empowerment applicants were supposed to get uh, preferential treatment in the distribution of licenses. However, you know, reality sets in and it's a capital thing. And it really kept a lot of people out of the market who wanted to get in, but realized you needed to have a million dollars just to get to the starting line. And that's not an easy thing to come up with. And now recently, the state, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has issued delivery licenses to these social equity applicants, which is obviously a great thing because they're finally getting the opportunity that they should have had all along, if you will. And I wonder, uh, is anything like that in place? What's the rules in Maine regarding delivery services? So I know that there's a lot of work that needs to be done because, for example, there's a lot of loopholes in the law, and especially in a new market like this. So there are branches that if you dissect enough, you can find a loophole to get a delivery license. Now, you know, not necessarily our place to be publishing what those loopholes are, uh, but there are there. What I will say in terms of social equity, because this is something that we see across the country and right. we, no regulator has, has nailed this, by the way. I, there's nobody that I would say they should be the poster child because it's been executed correctly. It hasn't. One thing that I see that Maine did that nobody else really seems to have adopted, look at the price points to get a license in Maine, Jimmy versus California, versus Massachusetts. I mean, you can do all of the paperwork, obviously with, let's say with a high price legal team to help you stay compliant, let's say 10 grand worth of work. 
and then $15,000 worth of filing fees and license fees, whatever you need, that's a smaller number than you'll see almost anywhere else in the country. And so I think the barriers to participate in the market are much lower. I think that does have a social equity play to it. Now, the other thing though, right, we can't take a lot of credit and celebrate that for me because I do not see a lot of policy being written that really encourages that. It's there, right? And we see some municipalities creating a ranking system. But again, I think it's something that's being slightly misused. And I don't know that it's working in the way that it's originally intended. But the good news is, is policy is like anything else. It's something that has to evolve over time. And as long as us, the industry works with our policymakers, I, I do know they are listening. I had a great chat with Kat Packer from the city of Los Angeles. These individuals are listening. And I mean, she's got a much bigger staff than the Office of Marijuana Policy, but she has boots on the ground. She's out there. And so there's, you know, maybe more contention out in that market than there is in Maine. But what I notice is they are admitting, right? This isn't perfect. This was not a perfect rollout. And what was interesting is uh, Kat had said to me specifically, she said, look, I know that there's issues with this office and I know that there's issues with rollouts. If I wasn't in this seat, I would be out there knocking on this seat's door asking what's going on. And so I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the accountability. And all I ask for is a little patience while you, the entrepreneur, is trying to work out your business and your pivots. Us regulators are trying to work out our pivots. And um, I want to ask you also about expungement of past cannabis possession crimes, because even in new states that are voting on legalization, there is uh, expungement clauses in the bills. In fact, the Vermont Senate and House just passed a bill that's now on the governor's desk that basically expunges all past cannabis possession offenses, I believe, up to two ounces. Maybe wrong on that. It's another reason why if you want to invest in cannabis, you invest in a law firm because they know what's going on and they'll never go out of business. So let me ask you about expungement in the state of Maine. Has there been any movement towards that? And we all know Steve D'Angelo's last prisoner project. He is dedicated the rest of his life to uh, getting all past cannabis possession crimes uh, expunged. Well, we have a lot of work to do. And I appreciate everything that Steve and his team is doing because they, they're everywhere, right? They're like you and I. They're not going to say no to having a conversation to better the world. And his way of sharing love with the world is this fight. And so I'm honored that we can all help support that fight. Now, Maine, we have a long ways to go. But Jimmy, you have to, you have to realize that in Maine, we have one of the lowest African-American populations in the entire country. Right. And so you want to look at those statistics and you know really see it you can look at Maine because there are, is such a fewer amount of our population attributed to that, to those individuals that there's no way for this program to be rolled out smoothly, right? Because in terms of the social equity, right? If we do it just based off of a certain tier crime, well, then that's not really social equity in Maine. And so I think Maine is in a very unique challenge. I think some of us here in the Northeast states really need to look at this because why, why is it, you know, now that we've reduced the residency requirement, 
why aren't we encouraging people to come and participate in our market? And so where our licenses, like I said, the cost is low, I think that there's a real opportunity for those listening that maybe you're not getting the social equity kind of, I don't even want to say treatment that you should be getting in some of these other states. What I'm saying is that I think that Maine is very loose in terms of opportunity right now. And so again, from a cost perspective, expungement is something that I know that we've been talking about over and over again. And I don't know why it's not as easy as a signature and these things get done, uh, but that's why I ran out of patience for the uh, politics game a long time ago. Oh, well, join the club on that. Hey, let's right. talk about this 10X conference. Uh, I guess there's been a nationwide contest of cannabis entrepreneurs who are going to be pitching their products or services and there's a big uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and that's up for grabs this weekend. Is that what's going on with 10X? It's up for grabs. And so good friends, Holly and Jason, and one of our good friends has put together this amazing pitch contest and what a great opportunity for the cannabis industry because we don't have banking we don't have a lot of you know investors we don't have these different shark tank type of shows to support the entrepreneurs and so holly and jason have put together this platform cannabis 10x where independent entrepreneurs and businesses can come together Enter in your pitch deck, your proposal, your business details, and your team, and have an opportunity to pitch in front of hundreds of potential investors. And what is so great is that the community that is entering this, and I entered myself with one of my small businesses, and I'm super excited to be there and support some of my competitors there that, that they beat me this time, Jimmy, but I'm going to come back for them next time. But that's the great thing about this community, I think, is that we're all in it together and we're all supporting each other. And so this weekend, they are going to have the finals competing for one prize. So I'm really excited to see and be a part of the Cannabis 10X event. You know what the prize is, what the big, big chunk of money is? I don't, Jimmy. So I was, I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I was so excited and so caught up in the opportunity in the community, I can't even tell you what the cash prize is. But what I can tell you is that oh, there's a lot of investors watching. And so even if you're not the ultimate winner, for example, right, our one of our companies wasn't the grand prize winner. But because of that event, we've had some very serious conversations. So I recommend to everybody, I always recommend to everybody anyway, to go do, just go out and enter and put yourself out there. But this is an event that you don't want to miss because the opportunity is too big. Get your name out there, be a part of the business community, and you'll, who knows what could happen. And again, Google uh, what 10X Cannabis Conference because it's all virtual, right? Yes, Cannabis 10X, an entirely virtual event. So we don't need to wear any face mask, thankfully. And uh, we get to just be comfortable in our own homes. We get to watch and support some amazing businesses. And if you're an investor, this is a good opportunity to do some betting and some qualifying of some potential investments. There you go. Well, Ry Russell, you always uh, are on the pulse. You and Kurt Dalton, I'll get, we'll throw Kurt in here too. You guys know what's going on in the cannabis business better than any 
people I've met in the last few years since I've been doing this uh, podcast and these interviews and meeting all these people. So uh, I appreciate so much you taking the time to explain where you're at, what you're up to. Um, we look forward to the main man reports, uh, hopefully coming from you at some point uh, on We Talk News. And uh, I continue to uh, look forward to the day when the two of us can actually get together and, and see each other from 10 feet apart, of course, if not more, now that they keep pushing us away and away for safety reasons, of course. That's right. Jimmy, I am so excited. Thank you so much. And I'm honored to be the main man. That's a lot to live up to. And I think I can bring the excitement. How do people find your podcast, Roy? The best way to find us is weedbudsradio.com. You can connect with me on Instagram, weedbuds with a Z, R-Y, my name. And I'm always on LinkedIn. That's probably the number one spot to get me. Just Rye, R-Y, Russell on LinkedIn, and let's connect. There you go. That's Rye Russell. He's from Weed Buds with a Z. He's our main man. And this has been the latest on the Cannabis Chat. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. For everybody here at Pro Cannabis Media, I'm Jimmy Young. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. We Talk Now, We Talk News, and In the Weeds are all available on most major podcast distributors like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and our friends at clnsmedia.com and our flagship, cannabis.net. So subscribe, share, and like our videos on all the social media networks out there, including LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The Weed Tube, and YouTube. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. We are Pro Cannabis Media.